our last week in uh, the, the book of Acts. Um, this passage, we're going to be in Acts 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, really excited about this passage. Uh, kind of as I was going through it and, and studying it, one of the reasons we're kind of concluding this part of the, of the book here is, is it's kind of a good summary for what's been happening all the way through the book. And it's also a very... Uh, convicting, challenging passage for who we are as a church. If you kind of, you'll see as we get into it, as you kind of break it down, it's, it's pretty much exactly what we want to do as a church. It's what who we want to be. It's kind of our mission. And so I, I hope that as we unpack it today, you'll kind of uh, feel the same way and we will be kind of motivated together to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to go out and, and change our city for the better. I'm just going to kind of jump into it this morning. So I'm going to start with verse 1. We're going to read through uh, verse 8. So uh, Acts 8, 1 says that on, the day, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through all of Judea and Samaria. So I'm going to pause a second and go back to where we started. In Acts 1, 8, what it says that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, that you'll, you will receive that power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So all the way up to this point, we've been in Jerusalem. But now, because of persecution, they've been scattered. And the gospel is going beyond the walls of this one city. And we're seeing it go into Samaria and go into the outermost parts of the earth. And that's kind of what the whole rest of the book of Acts is about. You see Paul's conversion. And you see him kind of go out and begin planting churches. And so that's kind of why we're transitioning here. So, so you see that that very mission, that very theme verse for this entire series is kind of expanding here and going into the rest of it. It's getting outside of Jerusalem. It says that they were scattered. Verse 2 says, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he drag, dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4 says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when a crowd heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention, close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So we see here in Acts that that the gospel has gone beyond the walls of Jerusalem and that they're taking it and wherever they go, wherever they go, they're preaching the word and it brings great joy. So, so what I kind of want to talk about for a second is, has you ever been somewhere and you wonder why you're there? Like sometimes it's, sometimes it's not a wonder. Sometimes it's a divine call. Like you, you, you take a new job or you feel like you're, you're going to go move to help maybe take care of a loved one or, or because of one thing or another, you move to a new area. Sometimes it's out of your control, and here in Acts, it's because they were persecuted, right? And because they were persecuted, they were scattered throughout all the world. And you see that as they go to these new places, they go there with this, with this mindset of no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, I have a purpose, I have a calling, and that's to make Jesus famous. And so kind of what I want to see here today is that, that we as Christians, we as believers, that, that sometimes life takes us places we weren't ready to go. Sometimes we end up somewhere and we, we're asking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is going on? And what I want you to hear this morning is, is that you're right where God wants you to be. 
And you're in this place, you're at this place because there's people that he wants you to go to. And that's what we see here. I'm kind of just going to break this down verse by verse. And I want to start with the why. Right? There's, a, there's a, a, a popular teaching among leadership that says, hey, you should always start with the why. Like if you've got a plan, if you've got a purpose, and you want somebody to come on board and join your vision, tell them why you're doing what you're doing. Sure, you sell computers, but why do you sell computers? Sure, you, you uh, started a church, but why did you start a church? Sure, whatever you're doing, start with the why. And so I think I want to start there today. If you look, it says the very last verse said that so that there was great joy in that city. The purpose of the church, the purpose that Philip has here is that, that everywhere they're going, they're spreading joy. And that's what, that's what the purpose is. Like as the church, as people of God, when we go into new places, we go to, go to whatever the situations are, are you bringing joy in that situation? Because that's the gospel. Right? That there's nothing else out there like the gospel that says despite your circumstances, despite the hardship, despite the pain, despite whatever's going on, you can have this unexplainable, unimaginable joy despite what's going on. This, this joy was made very real uh, to a couple of friends of ours this past week. Uh, we've kind of been following their journey. We went to college with them, and they're going through what I think might be the, the most difficult situation possible right now. Uh, it hits very close to home for Lauren and I, but they, they um, just gave birth to their daughter. But a few weeks ago, they went in to get an anatomy scan and they found out that their daughter was gonna have this genetic disorder. And more times than not, this genetic disorder affects the heart and the brain. And most babies don't live past a few hours. And so they began calling people to pray, calling people to pray to see what would happen, see what would happen. And, and the mom was having some complications this, this week, and so they went in and they decided that they were going to go ahead and deliver the baby um, through C-section. And I just want to read you what she put online about the situation. And I want you to hear, hear her tone and hear the words she uses to describe this. This is what happened. She said, last night, Hope Emerson Cooter, which is her name, was born via C-section around 6.30 p.m. She weighed 3.7 pounds and was 15 inches long. We got the blessing of having her with us for an hour and a half before she passed away peacefully in my arms. We're taking it moment by moment, but thank you all for your thoughts, prayers, and encouraging words. And the last thing she says is the Lord is good with three exclamation marks. How do you explain that? I mean, you can hear the pain, right? Taking it moment by moment. You know this is one of the hardest things that they've ever been through. You can imagine the struggle. You can imagine the heartache. You can imagine the tears that they've shed. But her wording is, we got the blessing to be with our daughter for an hour and a half. And the last thing she says is that the Lord is good. How do you explain that to someone who doesn't understand the faith? That in this moment of the greatest trial that they have faced in their life, they have a joy and they have a blessing. Look, life happens. And any preacher or teacher that tells you, you know, if you surrender your life, it's going to be all uphill from here now on. Everything's going to be the mountaintop. Life is going to be great. It's not true. Because we are still broken people living in a broken world. And bad things happen to good people and we can't explain why. But the truth is 
that the gospel brings with it this great joy. That even in the midst of those hard times, we have the fact that our Savior died on the cross and that we have the power of God inside us to get us through. And that when we look at life, we look at it through the lens of this great blessing that we have. And the truth is, there are people in Covington, in Conyers, in our zip codes who are going through incredibly difficult situations. And we as the church are called to be joy bringers into those situations. That's why they did what they did. They, they, everywhere they went, even though they were being persecuted, they looked with open eyes to try and find times to preach the gospel so that they could bring joy. When you look at, at your life, when we look at our church on Sunday mornings, when we look at the way we carry out our lives throughout the day, are we joy bringers? Are we saying in spite of all these difficult things that we're going through, our Savior still died on the cross and we still have victory no matter what? It's, it, life is hard, but we always have the opportunity to bring joy. We always have the opportunity for this constant peace despite our circumstances. Do you know that peace? Do you know that joy? And do you live a life that says, hey, the people around me can know that joy? Uh, going back to last week, if you weren't here, I do have that recording. You can go back and listen to it. We looked at Stephen who found something that was worth living for, so he found something that was worth dying for. And that his vision was, was that it wasn't about him, but it was about you seeing Jesus. It was about everybody that he came in, into contact with seeing Jesus to the point that, that his death, almost his journey to his death looked so much like Jesus' journey because he wanted people to see that joy. Stephen, Philip, all these early Christians, they were joy bringers. Are we like those people? Because that's part of our mission. That's part of why we exist. Is we want people to, to live their fullest life possible because of the joy in Jesus Christ. And that's why they did what they did. But, but going beyond why, I want to look at how and, and who was the ones accomplishing this. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that I hear is people want... This used to happen when we were youth pastors all the time. Students or even parents of students would come and say, Hey... You know, our kid is going through this and this. Can you, can you just go talk to them? Can you, get, can you go share the gospel with them? And they'd come to the pastor and say, hey, you know, you're the pastor. You went to school. You know all the answers. Can you go talk to them, right? Because we have these voices inside of our head that are saying, hey, you're not smart. If you go talk to somebody about Jesus, if you go to bring the joy, they're going to pelt you with all these questions. And, and you're not going to know the answers. And you're going to do more damage than good. We hear these little voices that say, you know what, you're just a regular, ordinary person. You don't have any kind of gift. You don't have any kind of talent. There's no way God can use you. And this is one of Satan's greatest strategies is he gets in our minds and he says, you're not good enough. You don't have the ability to share this joy. When we look at our passage, when we look here, it, it, it specifically says that the, everybody were scattered except for the apostles. And so when we look at that, we say, well, why is that the case? Why did, why did Luke, when he was writing this, tell us that the apostles didn't go. He doesn't tell us why the apostles stayed back. He just tells us that they didn't go. I think here's the point. The apostles were ordinary men, but at this point they've seen, been seen through the eyes of all of these new believers. Right? We're, over, we're in the thousands of people now as these gifted leaders. And in the eyes of these people, the apostles are no longer ordinary men, but they're extraordinary leaders. But they stayed back, and the ordinary people were the ones that were scattered. It was the everyday nobodies 
that were sharing the gospel, preaching wherever they went. Stephen, Philip, all these people that were appointed to be leaders for all the, they were lay people. They were just people serving in the church. They didn't have paid positions. They were ordinary people in ordinary situations, bringing joy to their neighbors, bringing joy to their city. That's us. That's you guys. We are called to be joy bringers no matter what we think about ourselves. There's a, there's a, a, a book by uh, Dwight Robertson, and, and in the book he tells a story of, of James the roofer. And every time I hear this story, it just makes me giddy because it's really funny. But, but basically, here's the deal. Robertson comes home. Right? He's been out of town on this trip for, for uh, a couple of days, and he comes home. It's like a mid-morning, and he's tired. So he lays down in his recliner, and he leans it back, and when he leans back, he looks up, and there's this giant brown spot on the ceiling, right? Huge brown spot, and he's like, yells to his wife. He's like, what is this? What happened? She's like, we had this huge storm. Uh, we obviously have some kind of leak in the roof. And, and Dwight Robinson's like, man, I don't want to deal with this. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to call a roofer, and I'm going to get him out here today to fix it. And he's like, I, I just have a few criteria. Like, I need him to be able to come today. I need him to be fair and honest, and I need him to have insurance, right? He's like, okay, so I, he pulls out the phone book. This is pre-Google, right, pre-smartphone. He pulls out the phone book, and he just starts calling people. He starts calling roofing companies, construction companies, and he gets down to probably the seventh or eighth person on the list. And he's calling them, and he, the phone's ringing. And the person picks it up and says, hey, this is James the Roofer. He's like, hey, James the Roofer, um, here's the deal. I've got this leak in my roof. Uh, I need somebody that can be here today. Can you do that? He's like, well, uh, what part of the city are you in? He's like, well, I'm on the east side. He's like, okay, well, I got a job on the east side uh, later this morning. I could probably be there around four. He's like, okay. He's like, I also have, I need somebody that can be fair and honest. He's like, well, I'm fair and honest, so that fit that one. He's like, and they need someone who has insurance. Like, I've got insurance. He's like, okay, can you be here at four? He's like, yeah, I'll be there. So four o'clock rolls around, doorbell rings. You ever talk on the phone and you get like a picture of what somebody's going to look like, right? So he's got this picture of this James the Roofer. He's real peppy. So he's thinking he's going to be like this younger guy with like a hat, maybe a, a, a business shirt on with the business logo or whatever. He opens the door and there's this guy covered in tattoos, hair down to his butt. And he's like, hey, I'm James the Roofer. He's like, hey, James the Roofer. He's like, so he's, you got a problem? And he goes through all the spiel. He says, okay, well, let me go up and look at it. James the roofer gets on the roof and he comes back and says, okay, here's the deal. It's an easy fix. I can have it done in an hour and a half. Uh, here's what it's probably going to cost. He's like, okay, that seems fair. Go ahead. So he goes up there and he starts working and uh, Robertson's down and he's just hanging out. About 45 minutes goes by and he hears a knock on the door. He opens up. Hey, it's James the roofer. <laughs> hey, James the roofer. He's like, well, I got it all done. It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. We got it all taken care of. He's like, that was literally half the time. He was like, yeah, yeah, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, I've had to adjust your cost, though. He's like, great. Because whenever somebody's doing work on your house and they adjust the cost, it always goes up, right? He's like, yeah, it took me about half the time, and I used about half the supplies, so it basically cut your cost in half. He lowered it, right? He lowered the, the estimate. He's like, well, this has just made my day. Dwight goes over, and he's like, he gets, starts to write a check, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to write it for a little bit more than what he gave me because this guy, obviously, he was fair and honest. He did a great job. He guaranteed the work. He said, if, if it breaks or leaks again, call me. I'll come fix it for free. He's like, okay, this guy is an all-star. He tells him, he's like, hey, James, you are an incredible roofer. Thank you so much. And James like, you know, I, I can't take that compliment. He's like, this is weird. 
No, really, I can't take it. He's like, Jay, no, look, you, you lowered my cost, you cut the time in half, and you did a great job, and you guaranteed it. That's incredible service. You are a great roofer. He goes, no, no, I can't take it. I can't take it. He's like, James, take the compliment. He's like, look, I said it was going to be an hour and a half. Can I tell you why I can't accept the, the compliment? He was like, okay, yeah. So he goes into this spiel and he says, look, 13 years ago, I was not anybody that you would want to have working on your roof. In fact, you wouldn't even want me in your house. You wouldn't want me around your wife. You wouldn't want me around your daughter. See, I was strung out on drugs. I was a thief. I was a crook. And I did everything I could just to get my next fix. But then, but then I met this, this guy. I met, I met the God. And this God is the same God that created all of the universe. And his son, Jesus, he died for me. And when he died for me, he set me free from those things and he changed me from the inside out. And, and, and the reason I'm a good roofer is because of what Jesus did for me. So when you compliment me, I can't accept it. But now that you know why, and it's because of Jesus, I will accept your compliment because it's a compliment for him. And, and Dwight goes, wow. Well, listen, brother. And he goes, what'd you call me? He said, brother. He said, wait, you're one too? He said, he was disappointed because I was a Christian. <laughs> he didn't think I was a Christian. This is weird. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. And he's like, man, I can't believe you're one too. And he's like, why are you upset that I'm a Christian? And he was like, look, I, I pray every day that God will take me somewhere for some reason and that my, my roofing job will be a chance for me to tell people about Jesus. And if you're already a Christian, then why did God have bring me here? And he was like, look, you did a great job on my roof, and I think that's why God brought you here, right? Like, I needed some, I needed a quality roofer, and you were that. So that's why God brought you here. He's like, man, I just don't understand. He's like, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I, I'm a believer. Do you mind if my family, if we lay hands and pray for you? And he's like, okay. So they all lay hands on James the roofer, and they begin praying for him. And he, he, thanks, Jay, he thanks God for James' ministry. He thinks he asks that, that God will continue to use James and that, that he'll use him to make a difference. And when they get done praying, James is bawling. And he's got this puddle of tears on the floor, and he's apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. I'm sorry. He's like, why are, you, why are you crying? He's like, look, for 13 years, I've been doing this. I've gone into some crazy situations. He said, one time I was working on a roof, and I hear gunshots in the house below me. And I, walk, I climbed down my ladder and I opened the door and these two guys come running out and there's a guy laying on the ground that's been shot. And I go in and I ask him, I was like, hey, can you hear me? If you can hear me, blink. And the guy blinks. He's like, look, did you, I just want you to know that God loves you, that God loves you. If, you. if you know that God loves you, blink. The guy blinks. He's like, look, it doesn't matter how, what you've done in your life. Like you can surrender your life to him right now and you'll, go, and you'll be in heaven for eternity. Like, like if you want Jesus in your heart, and just blink for me. And the guy blinks. He's like, can I pray for you? And the guy blinks. So he prays for him. And when he's done praying, he says, look, do you, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior and that you, you have your heart is now written in eternity? And he's like, if you do blink, the guy blinks. And, and the day goes on. And, and after a while, the, the man actually passes away. He's like, and I've had people tell me that, that this guy isn't in heaven, but I have no doubt because I think about the thief that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. He had nothing to give to Jesus. He had no way he was going to use his life. But he said, Lord, remember me when you're in heaven. And Jesus says, today we will be in eternity together. And I have no doubt that this man will be in heaven with me. But in my 13 years of situations like this, in my 13 years of doing what I call ministry, nobody 
has ever validated my ministry. Listen, we're all ordinary people in ordinary situations doing extraordinary things. Wherever you're at, whatever your job is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're working 80 hours a week, whatever you're doing, God has a plan for ordinary people. You and I are the way that this joy gets brought to a city. He needs more James the Roopers that just look at their life and say, you know what? I may not have the, this all-star job. People may not look at me and think they want to be me, but God is using me for the kingdom. And that's who God uses. He uses ordinary people. You are called to bring joy to your neighbors, to bring joy to your city. Because we are all these ordinary men and women. And God has a plan for that. Do you know that you have value? You have purpose. When God created you, he designed you to be this ordinary person in ordinary situations, to carry out his will, to be a joy bringer, a difference maker. That's us. We are James the Roofer. God has this plan, this design for us. Are you willing to walk in that? Are you willing to have the God confidence and that even when you feel inadequate, even when you don't feel worthy, even when you feel like you don't have the ability, God can and he will use you. And it all starts with realizing that it's more than just living a good life and it's more than just standing on the street corner yelling at people that God is love. Right? If you look at the passage, it says that, that they saw the signs that Philip performed and they heard what he was saying. See, when we proclaim the gospel, it's in both word and deed. It's in our actions and it's in the things we speak. There's, you know, there's a popular saying that goes kind of like, you know what? People don't have to hear me say, hear me speak to know that I'm living the gospel. You know, that's really, it's, it's true. It's true. But it, it's not the complete truth because people do need to hear the words you say. I used the, the illustration a few weeks ago. I'm going to briefly use it again about the invisible man, right? You got the invisible man and nobody can see him unless you throw paint on him. And when you throw paint on him, now you can see the invisible man. Well, when we, do our, when we serve our city, when we do good deeds, when we act and walk like Jesus, we throw paint on the invisible man and people can see the gospel. But it's more than just those acts. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to get out of our comfort zone and tell people the gospel. Tell people our story. The word gospel is not a religious word. Right? This, this is a word that meant to proclaim victory. If a Greek general would win a war, he would come back and he would give the gospel. Saying, hey, we won this war. And this gospel wasn't to say, hey, I need some people to come help me. It wasn't to say, hey, you know, whatever it is. The gospel was simply to say, we won. And it was all verbal. In order for us to tell people about Jesus, it has to be in word and deed. And this can be scary, but I think one of the, the best illustrations is, is there was an interview with Michael Jordan, right? And they asked Michael Jordan when he was doing all these crazy dunks in the middle of, of a game, he'd like make a breakout and he would do some kind of between the leg, behind the back, spinny thing, and he would dunk the basketball, right? They say, man, how do you come up with these dunks? Like, when, you're, when, you, when you do these crazy things, when do you come up with them? How does it happen? He, he looks like, simply this. He's like, if I get a breakaway, I just jump. And when I'm in the air, whatever I'm going to do kind of comes into my mind and I just do it. 
And there's not a better picture for how the Holy Spirit uses us. Sometimes we just have to jump. And there's this incredible moment where we don't know what we're going to say or how we're going to say it. But when we jump, we begin to speak that the Holy Spirit uses us. He gives us the words. And we're able to, to speak eloquently. Or we're able to say the perfect thing that triggers emotion in the person we're talking to. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and say, hey, this person is going through this situation and, and they just need encouragement. Why don't you just tell them something encouraging? He gives us the words to speak, but the problem is a lot of us don't realize that God uses ordinary people to bring joy and we freeze up and we never take that leap. We never jump, so we never see the power of the Holy Spirit through us. But God is saying jump in word and deed, serve and speak. And in order to do that, we have to be intentional. We have to live intentionally. If it says that everywhere they went, they preached the word. The only way you can do that is if you're always looking for opportunities. It's like when you, you, you get a new car, right? And you've never seen this car on the road, but, but now that you get the new car, you feel like you see it everywhere, right? <laughs> like your eyes are opened up to it now. And that's what this living intentionally means. It's, it's every day we have chances to, to speak, we have chances to live out the gospel. But we have to open our eyes and live intentionally in order to, to bring joy. And living intentionally can be broken down very easily like this. You have to realize that the one matters. The one person matters. God's not asking you to reach masses of people. He's asking you to reach that one person. And when you see that one person, you have to do just that. You have to see them. And once you see them, you have to stop. And once you stop, you have to spend time with them. So you see, you stop, and you spend time. And when you open your eyes to the one that matters, you can live intentionally. You can slow down and say, you know what? This is a God-ordained moment. And I see it, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to spend time in it. Because when we do that... God changes lives. There's, a, uh, there's a, a guy on the internet, he's kind of started this campaign called Break the Twitch, right? And, and his whole goal was for us to, to be intentional in the way we live. And he kind of de defines intentionality like this, and I'm going to steal it. It is lining up our short-term actions with our long-term vision. Lining up our short-term actions with our long-term vision. He says, we have this vision. We have this vision of whatever it is better kids, better marriage, better job, whatever it is. We have this long-term vision, and we want to get there. But the way we live right now and the actions and the steps that we take right now are not actions and steps that get us there. For him, the breakthrough moment came when this, he realized like he loved to go on these international trips that his family would take every year. They'd go somewhere international every year, but it was always expensive. And in the later years of his life, he never had money to go. And he was missing out on these, these awesome vacations with his family, going to all these extravagant places because he didn't have the money to get there. And it would break his heart. And then one day he, he had, because of a discrepancy, he had to go in and he had to find something he ordered from Amazon about four years ago. And he realized that Amazon only lets you see six months of your order history. So he has to get like this PDF from them and he breaks it down and he's staring at four years worth of purchases on Amazon. He said, you know what? When I made these purchases, they weren't anything. $10, $15, $20, but over time, I realized that I was getting two and three packages a week just because I'd see something at one click and I'd get it, right? 
And when I was looking at then, I broke down the four years worth of expenses on Amazon. I realized that I could have taken three of these international trips for how much money I had spent on Amazon. He said, my short-term actions were not getting to my long-term vision. And so he had this goal to break the twitch is what he called getting on Amazon and making a purchase. What is the twitch in your life that is keeping you from your long-term vision? Because we have to be intentional about the way we live. We have to take time to step back, see the opportunity, spend time in that opportunity, and make a difference in other people's lives, make a difference in our own lives. One of John Maxwell's 15 points of leadership or whatever it is, is to, to in, grow in intentionality. And the only way you grow is when you are intentional, when you line up your short-term actions with your long-term vision. And if we are going to be joy bringers, ordinary people, but through word and deed, it's going to have to be by being intentional in the lives of those around us. Look, God, God doesn't want to see what you can do for him. He wants you to see what he can do for you. It's all about being intentional in our actions and loving others. I want to end my conclusion right here with this story. It's a story uh, kind of like James the Roofer, but this time it's, it's Grace the Grandma. True story, I promise. So Grace, is, uh, she's lived a full life. She's raised five boys, and her husband has just recently passed away. And she's kind of like, Lord, why did you leave me here? I've raised my boys. They're all out doing well on their own. I was taking care of my husband, and now he's passed away, and I have no purpose. Why did you leave me here? Why didn't you take me to? And she's kind of in this, this kind of down in the, the pits. And, and then she sees this article. And this article is a, from a prisoner. And, and he, inside the prison, he, he basically surrenders his life to God, but he has no way of, of growing in that relationship. So he writes an article to a newspaper, and they publish it. It's basically a letter saying, is there anybody out there that can write a Bible study and send it to me? And Grace is like, well, I'm not afraid of some, some bad teenagers. I'm not afraid of boys. I raised five of them, and, and, and I have all this free time, so, so I'm going to do that. And so she writes a letter to this prisoner. And, and they begin this journey together, right? She saw the one, and she stopped, and she spent time through writing him Bible studies. And, and she writes him this letter, and eventually his cellmate gets saved. And, and they start doing these Bible studies together in, inside this prison that prisoners are transferred every now and then. So both of these prisoners actually been, end up being transferred to different prisons, and, and they start their Bible studies there. So she, now she's writing two letters to two different prisons. And, and long story short, through prisoners being transferred and and all these different uh, situations, and they all start in these Bible studies. One of them says, hey, my, my wife is in Cuba, and, and she, speaks, she doesn't speak English. She speaks Spanish. Is there any way that you can do this? And, and Grace goes out, and she buys a Spanish Bible and a Spanish dictionary, and she writes this letter. She doesn't even know if it makes sense, but she just believes that she can do all things through Christ. And so she sends this letter, and a few weeks later, she gets a letter back in Spanish. She can't read it. She goes to a friend who can and she basically creates this team of three old ladies who are now writing letters. And when it comes to the end of Grace's life, they look at her and they say, somebody walks into her room and they see this map of all these dots. And they're like, Grace, what are all these dots on this map? And she goes, that's my boys. Like, it's a bunch of dots. What do you mean that's my boys? And she kind of unpacks this story. And when it's all said and done, they're like, well, how many boys do you have? She gets down, she gives an exact number. She says, 14,573. 
prisoners. One old lady who didn't know her purpose. And she took time to see the opportunity, stop and spend time with one that mattered. And God took that one and multiplied it. When she died, her family took those prisoners and started calling prison ministries around the area and said, hey, uh, can you guys take these prisoners in? And they end up finding a, a pretty large prison ministry in Florida that accepts all of the prisoners and, and it more than triples the size of this prison ministry. And she was one lady who realized that she had this opportunity. So what I want to see for us today is we kind of redefine evangelism, right? Not really redefine it, but we kind of put it in some terms that we can grasp through this passage. Evangelism is this scary big E word that we hear in church and we think it's for the, the gifted old man who's standing up there preaching and spitting and telling you need to change. But evangelism isn't that. Evangelism is you and I being ordinary people sharing the gospel. And so I've got it on the screen, but evangelism is a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally through word and deed to bring joy to a city. We just saw it in our passage that was our points in our message this morning. That's why we exist. That's what we want to do. We want to realize that we're not anybody special, and that's exactly why God wants to use us. But we have to be intentional in word and deed. And when we do that, we bring unimaginable, unexplainable, unspeakable joy to our city. So I want to close like this. If you guys will bow your heads, I know that uh, we're, we're kind of a, a small congregation, and this can be kind of awkward, but... But I want to do the whole pastor raise the hand thing. And this morning, if you're here and, and, and you just want to be that, you, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey with Christ or not. But if you, want to, if you want to be one of those people that is just an ordinary person living intentionally in word and deed to bring joy to your city, can I just get you guys to raise your hand if that's you? And all throughout Scripture, you see kind of the laying on of hands and, and praying over people and those people being sent out. And so I kind of just want to have a, a moment this morning where if you guys that raised your hand, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray for you guys. Um, no closing music, no kind of real special moment, but I just, as a, a pastor, as a friend, as a nephew, as a son, I just want to pray for you guys and send you out of this place as evangelists as ordinary people doing God's work. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group of people. As we sit here this morning, we know the truth of your word. And there's all kinds of attacks in our life, whether it's circumstances or it's in our own mind, and there's all these distractions that, that tell us we're not good enough or these things that complicate life. But, but when we break it down, Lord, you give us this joy, and I pray that you will use this group to go out and be that joy to the world, that they can be the joy to their parents, they can be the joy to their children, they can be the joy to their coworkers, that they will just point everybody to you, Jesus. I pray for a special, fresh anointing on this congregation. I pray for a special fresh anointing on the marriages, Lord, on the, on the family unit, on the, the workplace, whatever it is, that you would anoint each and every situation, that the power of your presence will come into it, and you will make us alive and full of joy for you, and that we can leave this place with nothing but, but joy to bring to each and every situation. Lord, give us the words to say 
Give us the imagination, the creativity to take these leaps of faith so that you can use us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. And I pray that you will just, again, let us leave here anointed for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot to to say this in my message.